Welcome back to Her Story Talk. It's your host, Melina. Before we start today's episode, I just want to give you a heads up. If you have a queasy stomach or if you're below the age of 13, there is some graphic content, so I may advise you to skip out on this episode. But without further ado, let's begin. Joining me today is Liv Dinter. She is a good friend of mine and um, fellow podcast lover. Today, our episode is called Murderesses with Moscato. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about different female murderers in history while drinking a beverage of our choice. So today I am drinking a Pattersbeer brewed with rosemary i guess it tastes fine i don't really know what the ipa is uh Liv, what are you drinking uh i don't have any moscato on hand so in lieu of that i am drinking an angry orchard hard cider the crisp apple flavor because if it ain't broke don't fix it that's what i'm saying Liv. <laughs> cheers to that this beer is gross okay <laughs> so we each decided to choose two different women in history. So my first woman that I decided to choose was Olga of Kiev. And Olga of Kiev and her husband, Igor, great name, were rulers of Kievan Rus. And Kievan Rus was kind of what historians consider a medieval Russia. It contained Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia, and a little bit more of that. She's actually considered the first female ruler of Russia. But again... Yeah, we love to see it, but again, some people argue that she's not a Russian ruler at all. They actually say that she's Ukrainian, but hey, I mean, to each their own. Anyways, so her husband, Igor, I mean, a lot of people didn't like him, I'm going to be honest. Uh, She loved him, though, and I'm going to tell you why she loved him. You're going to find that out pretty soon in a very murderous way. Um, So one day he decided to go out and collect tribute, and he did this a lot. He, like, taxed the heck out of people. And he decided to go to the land of the Drevlians. Well, when he got there, the Drevlians didn't like this. They were like, hey, man, you literally just got tribute from us. What are you talking about? So they decided to kill him. And instead of just using, like, a knife or something normal, you know, they decided to take two birch trees, you know, those skinny little trees and they tied each one to his ankles and let them go and he ripped in half which is really like that's really painful right oh my god isn't that so bad like i just feel my skin crawl yeah like that's a horrible way to die like they couldn't just do it civilly and i think that's why she got pissed off Anyways, because he died, she became regent since her son was only three. And this was all happening around the year 945. So she's upset, obviously. But Prince Maul, the ruler of the Drevlian people who, you know, killed her husband, sent 20 envoy matchmakers to Olga. And get this, they proposed marriage. They just murdered her husband. And then they were like, hey... Do you want to get married? Hey, uh, don't reject me. Haha, ha, you're so sexy. Well, their, their whole thing was like, oh, she's a woman in need. She needs us because she doesn't have a man to protect her because her son was too little to rule. How could she possibly know what she's doing all on her own with her tiny little lady brain? Her tiny little lady brain can't figure out how to rule a kingdom by herself. Hmm. 
So she was like, fine, I'll play, I'll, I'll, I'll play along, you know? So she asked them to come back the next day. So that night, this is like, this is great. She came up with this whole plan by herself. She had her guards dig a moat in her kingdom in like one night. So she had a lot of people doing it. The next day, the 20 matchmakers came back and they arrived in small little boats. So she had her guards go down. She's like, don't get out of your boats. We're going to carry you up here. We got you, you know? They carry them up there, throw them in the moat, and then bury them alive. Yes, correct. Yes. The proper way to handle that. Bury them alive. Okay, but it's not over. <laughs> she, she has more of her sleeve. So she contacts Prince Maul. And she's like, there's multiple versions. In one version, she says, send me your best warriors. In another version, she says, send me your best noblemen. Either way, it's like his best guys. So he sends his best guys to escort her to him. And when they get there, she says, you can't, you can't escort me looking like that. You have to go bathe first. So she sends them to the bathhouse and then has her people burn them alive. Oh, in the bathhouse. Well, that's a little ironic. <laughs> what do you mean? Because you take a bath in water and then you burned in the bathhouse. She should have drowned them in the bathhouse. That would have made more that sense. Been good. That would have been like some Count of Monte Cristo. But like she would have wasted water because like back then you like never bathed, you know? So I guess she's an environmentally friendly queen. We stand, honestly. <laughs> All right. So the next step was um, she she said to Prince Maul, you know, like he doesn't he doesn't know that all these people died. I literally don't know how he doesn't know, but he doesn't know. And she's like, look, I'm going to marry you. Let's get married. You're right. I, I am dumb and stupid and a lady and I can't rule this kingdom by myself. My dumb little lady brain can't do it. So I'm going to come to you. But first, we have to have a funeral feast for my husband, which you murdered. So she's like, prepare a feast. Get as much, like, alcohol, wine, whatever it is that they drank back then. And get ready for me to come. So she goes there. She's escorted by her army. And, um, you know, they start drinking. And her and her people don't drink. They don't drink at all. But the Drevlians are just getting drunk, like super drunk. When they're completely wasted, she orders her people to kill them. <laughs> she, <laughs> she kills around 5,000 victims. Wow. At one feast. That's like some Game of Thrones stuff right there. Yeah, no, it really, I mean, I've never seen Game of Thrones. <laughs> Right, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming based on, like, all the memes I've seen on, like, the internet that it's very Game of Thrones. Right. Um, but she's not done yet, of course. She still has more, like, murdering Rat. to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's mad. Like, they literally ripped her husband in half. I mean, she loved him, obviously. She's doing all this shit. She goes back to Kiev, and she decides to prepare her army because she's got more killing to do. So she decides to 
lead um, a siege on the town of Iskorosten for around a year. It takes like a year to be able to get anywhere because the Drevlians are fighting back and they're not getting anywhere. But finally, she's successful a year later. Now, apparently, they're tired of this. And she's like, look, I'll leave you alone if you do me this one favor, okay? If you present me with pigeons, sparrows, and some say doves, as a gift, I'll stop. And during this time, people kept, like, these birds at their houses. And you have to keep in mind that the houses were made out of thatch roofs because this was in, like, the 900s. And these people were poor. Like, they didn't live in castles like she did, you know. So she gets the birds from everyone, and she has her army tie cloths to the birds' legs and dip them in sulfur, light them on fire, and set the birds free so that the birds, afraid because they're on fire, would go back to their homes with the thatch roofs, set the roofs on fire, and the entire town burned down. And while the town was burning down, everyone was trying to escape, and while they were trying to escape, she was murdering the people who were escaping. Her mind. (laughs) Like, she, I mean, how, how twisted do you have to be to, like... I mean, she's really smart for thinking all of this up, but how twisted do you have to be to be like, all right, for like a whole year, almost two years, I got to kill basically an entire city of people. Because all of these women, I'm just kind of sitting here thinking like, good for you. Like you are so smart, except for the fact that there is so much bloodshed. (laughs) In this case, a lot of these people were innocent. Like, they didn't have anything to do with, like, her husband's murder. Like, do you think, like, Joe Schmo in, you know, like, the Iskorosten, who is, like, I don't know, a baker, had anything to do <laughs> with her husband being ripped in half? No. no like, he's just trying to some bread, you know? Like, literally, he is. He's like, I gotta bake bread just to survive another day. But he doesn't survive another day because his house gets set on fire. But here's the thing. Poor guy. I know, poor guy. Here's the thing that we have to remember. Um, So the only account that we actually have of all of this is from the Primary Chronicle. Um, And it's said that a lot of this stuff could have been over-exaggerated and just, like, you know, dramatized. That was right. I feel like that's the word. Dramatized. I don't know. Um, So, you know, do I think she got revenge on the Drevlians? Yes. But did she actually do all this stuff? I don't know. We don't know. She's dead, so we literally can't tell. But it could have just been an exaggeration because the Primary Chronicle was, like, meant to be a good book. You know what I mean? Like, and also, was she simply demonized to show like the dangers of having emotions? That live. That is a good thought right there. I don't know. But here's the kicker. Here's my favorite part about Olga, mm. which is the most ironic part of all. In 1547, the Orthodox Church named her a saint and equal to the apostles, and she is one of only five women to ever be honored that way. Now, how did that happen? 
Well, it has nothing to do with this account. It actually has to do with another account that I'm not going to talk about because it's not part of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned for later episodes. Um, but, you know, usually the reason why people become saints is because they suffer for their faith. Yeah, I think it's actually really funny that, like, she <clears throat> killed all of these people and then she's a saint. It's hilarious. Like, it's just- <laughs> But, like, good for her. Like, good for her, man. Like, she was, like, that lover. She really showed them. She, and, you know, it's also funny because Igor just, like, wasn't a good person. But, like. <laughs> I need a beer after that one. I don't know. I think it's, like, such an interesting revenge story. Like, I don't think I could ever come up with something that clever. No, I got four brain cells and all four of them would just tell me to, like. Cry? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the story of of my girl Olga. Okay, are you ready? You're up. You're up. I'm so excited. Um, first, I'm going to be talking about everyone's favorite Bloody Lady of Castis, also known as the original Dracula, also known as Countess Elizabeth Valtry of Hungary. Um, fun fact, she's also referred to as the nasty woman, not because she's a nasty woman, but because that would have been her married last name if she had changed her name during her marriage. Um, so Elizabeth, or Elizabeth Valtry, was born on August 7th, 1650, in what would today be Nexed, I believe, or Exed at the time. She was born to two very powerful uh, families. She was born to Hjorhi of Exed, and Anna of Smoyol, and together they formed, uh, they were two separate branches of the Baltery family, and they came together. So because Elizabeth was a product of quite a few generations of inbreeding, she did have a big, uh, you know, disposition to mental illness. She would have been diagnosed with epilepsy if those sorts of diagnoses were available at the time, as she did suffer from seizures quite a lot, which untreated seizures can lead to a lot of brain damage. So that might have something to do with her actions in life. She was also prone to depression, and that'll come back around um, when we talk about the end of her story and her kind of demise, uh, because karma is a bitch. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the most common misconceptions about Lady Baltery is that she did bathe in the blood of virgins. And while that is a super cool and bone-chilling fact that is, like, fun to believe for the, for the hype of it, it was most likely mathematically and physically impossible for her to do so. Um, shout out to Elena from Morbid, a true crime podcast, for breaking down this math. I just wanted to share it with you. A standard bathtub holds roughly 80 gallons of water, but a larger one could hold up to 110 gallons. There's eight pints in a gallon and nine to 12 pints of blood in the average adult woman. Considering that Elizabeth's uh, victims were most likely girls between the ages of 10 to 16, that would have put them at seven to 10 pints of blood per girl, meaning that she would have needed 11 and a half girls per bathtub. And even then with her death toll of 650 people, she would have only have taken like not that many baths in her lifetime in blood. So if blood makes you queasy, I'm sorry that you had to visualize that. Well, also I feel like another thing is you have to remember that these people like barely bathed to begin with. 
Like, right. so why, why would they be bathing in blood? Like, the amount of work that that would take. And then to bathe in blood, and then you would think you would have to clean yourself off afterwards, and no one ever took baths. So why they wouldn't have the time or resources to do that. So right. I don't care how bored of a nobility woman you are. You're not spending that much time bathing every day. No. However, it was confirmed by several witnesses and several accomplices to her torturings that there would be enough blood on the floor of her dungeon to scoop with the palms of your hand as though you were cupping water from a lake. Um, So it's assumed that maybe rather than bathing in blood, she bottled it and used it kind of like how we use face serums and essences today. What in... Um, So blood was her thing. She was known to bite, scratch, and like strike her servant girls, which she recruited from poor families down in the valley. Um, When she ran out of poor girls, because so many of them were ending up dead, she had to start outsourcing to other nobility, and that was inevitably what got her caught. Uh, Because what would happen is she would torture them violently and they would die and she would box them up in a coffin before anyone could see their bodies and she would say oh it must be that cholera outbreak you don't want to touch the body because it's still contagious uh so she rifled through quite a few young women and her estimated death toll as i said before is 650 people died at the hands of her Uh, she was only convicted for 80 fun fact that's I feel like that's I mean I can't even think of like a modern day serial killer that 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 is like that bad uh a typical serial killer will take like a a resting period in between victims and Valtteri was known to kill multiple people per day every day so she broke the standards even for what we know as a serial killer today so that was like her full-time job right yes yeah that was her yeah she was a working woman Um, So she actually learned how to torture these girls from her husband, uh, which is, you know, family fun for everyone. Cute Uh, couple things. She would cover young girls in honey and leave them in the woods to be eaten by insects, strip the young girls, um, force them to lay down in the snow and throw cold water on them until the water froze onto their skin and then left them to die. I just, I don't even understand... I don't even understand how messed up you have to be to do that. Like, I understand that she she got this from her husband. She got this from her parents. It's, it was a long line of something she picked up from others. But it, it's just so horrible. Like, how... how it's, So I'll tell you this, and we don't have to put it in there just because it's like a little horrendous. Um, But in my research, I found that when she was around 10 years old, she stumbled upon the punishment and torture of a commoner. And he had been like arrested for stealing. And his punishment was to be sewn alive inside a dying horse. And the sight of it made her laugh so hard that she fell to tears and incited a seizure. 
Um, so her reign of terror mostly lasted between the years of 1590 and 1610. Um, and in 1609 is when she kind of met her demise. Uh, she had confided to a cousin what she was doing and said cousin made an unannounced visit to her castle and tripped over a corpse. Uh, so he then arrested all of her servants because almost all of them had had a hand in the torture and inevitable deaths of the missing girls. Well, what, what else were they supposed to do? They knew they were going to die if they like exactly. didn't do that. Like, So they were executed without questioning um, in 1609, all of them. But because... Elizabeth was of noble birth, it was against the law for her to hold a public trial. So instead, she absolved the debt that the king of Hungary had owed her, and then was quarantined and uh, imprisoned in her torture chamber for what would be the rest of her life. Inevitably, mental illness did get the best of her, and she was known to write on the walls in several different languages, at just like grasping for some sort of something in the outside world. She inevitably did go crazy and she lived for four more years once she was detained. There is so much to be said to, about her and there is a lot of conspiracy about, um, you know, how she became the way she did. But she is definitely remembered as a bloody, bloody woman by history and she is in fact related to Vladley and Paler so it really does run in the family it really does yeah well I hope you have something light and fluffy to deflect from that I mean this whole thing is about murdering so like I don't really think I have anything too light and fluffy <laughs> about that I actually I mean I don't have something as bad as getting ripped in half by a birch tree if that's what you're implying anything's better than that okay so for my second woman, I chose um, Ember Wu. Her name is Wu Zhao, but you will probably know her as Wu Zetan. Um, I'm, I apologize if I said that wrong. I tried to research how to say her name, and so many people said it so differently. So again, I apologize. So here's, here's the short story, okay? I'm going to give you the short story, and then I'm going to give you the long story. To become the only woman in more than 3,000 years of Chinese history to rule in her own right, she had to kill her newborn baby and blame it on the empress, kill the empress, kill her sister, brothers, mother, and the emperor. So let's begin. So... Wu was born around 624 AD. It's speculated when she was born, but it's around that time. But there's no actual documentation of when she was born. Um, she was the daughter of a minor general, and she was taught to play music, write, and read. So she was known for her intelligence, but the one thing that she was known for the most was her beauty. And because of her beauty, she was recruited to the court of the emperor, and she became a fifth-rank concubine. And this was not a high rank. Um, she actually changed the emperor's sheets, which isn't like a great job at all, but she used this to her advantage. So she used her intelligence and her wits to talk to the emperor, and she eventually became his favorite concubine. Now, during this time, she started to have an affair with his son. 
which is a little messy. <laughs> messy queen. But, like, we stand because I'm going to tell you why we stand. This works out in her favor. Because the emperor dies of natural reasons. She doesn't kill him yet. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so... When the emperor dies, the concubines have to shave their heads and go to a temple and live the rest of their lives in chastity. But the new emperor, who was the son of the previous emperor, was so in love with Wu that they somehow managed to get Wu out of there, even though the emperor had other wives and other concubines. She soon became an empress consort, but that wasn't enough power for her. Uh-uh-uh. Drink break. <laughs> so, by the year 666, this is funny, she was on the throne that was equal in elevation to the emperors. And this is actually when the murders started to begin. Bum-bum. So, <laughs> the niece of the emperor, okay, he started to, like, get attracted to her. We don't know if they had an affair, but basically she didn't like that. So Wu poisoned her, it's suspected. Mm, messy. Messy, okay. Then um, in 684, this is important, she banished her own son. It's speculated that she, like, killed the rest of her sons, too, In 693, she had a newborn daughter. She was only a week old, okay? Well, she didn't like the empress, and she smothered her own daughter, blamed it on the empress, because the empress was the last person to hold the baby. And she ordered that the empress and also the chief consort, she ordered that their hands and feet be chopped off and that they toss them into a vat of wine, leaving them to drown, saying, now these two witches can get drunk to their bones. Ooh, the anger in that. Yeah, the anger. She, like, accused them of, like, witchcraft or something. Hey. And of killing her own daughter. <laughs> um, then it's said that she ordered the suicides. It was listed as ordered the suicides, which is just, like, in my, like... Isn't that execution? Yeah, execution of her grandson and granddaughter because they criticized her. A bloody, bloody woman. And then this is when it gets, like, weird and messy. Um, So the emperor died alone. Even though the tradition is that the family should gather around the emperor to hear any last words. So they assume that she poisoned her husband. Yeah, I feel like what are the chances that he just drops dead out of the blue with no one around? It's it's definitely like there's some foul play in there. Suspicious. Um and then you know, she like killed her sons and stuff and like she just she wanted the throne and and then she 
she got it, you know? Um, in 690, she took power and became emperor. And I think what's really interesting about this, and I actually didn't put it together until, like, today, is she was old when she became emperor. She was, you figure, in, like, her 60s. Yeah. Late 60s, early 70s, when she and became emperor, finally. How common was it to even really live that much longer? Exactly. And, um... She ruled for, like, 14 years, which isn't really a long time, but then you figure at that point she's almost, like, she's in her 80s. Yeah. That's a long time. Um, And I think what's really cool about her is when she came to power, she tried to elevate the position of women. Like, she gave away high political spots to women. Look at her, She tried to move, like, male, um, like male leaders out of there and she tried to make it so she was the direct line of communication between her and the people she didn't want anyone else in between i respect that so she would put these boxes around the city like suggestion boxes and they would write like can you do this can you do this we should blah 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 or she would like have people spy on other people and be like this person did this and then they would get in trouble and like she tried to get people to spy on male officials so she (laughs) got rid of the male officials and here's the thing like no one like history doesn't look on her lightly at all history doesn't like her and i think history robbed her i actually think despite everything i just told you i actually think a lot of it isn't true even though a lot of it is fishy I think history wrote all of this stuff to make her look bad. Because well, also think about how many men are glorified for doing the same thing. And it's exactly. just dedication for what he wants. Exactly. Like in a lot of um in a lot of countries, it was normal that if you killed someone, you took the throne. And that's just how it was. And they were glorified for that. But well, I mean, she, even up until the 1500s in Scotland, that's how it went. Like, yeah, that was like it was so ancient and barbaric. Yeah. And, you know, the people loved her. She was a good leader. I mean, in the end, she was, like, forced out of ruling because she was, like, kind of out of it. And she, like, had this, like, sexual fling with, like, these two guys who were, like, really young. She was, like, a – she was, like, have you ever seen the TLC show Extreme Cougar Wives? <laughs> No, I'm not kidding. Like, I love that show. She was like that. And they were like, you're like crazy. Like, get out of here. And she was like, okay, I'll leave. But the people loved her, but the men did not. And here's why I think everything was made up. Because her gravesite and stone memorial is outside of the Capitol. It's not even in the Capitol. And it's blank. I do remember hearing about that. It's the only known uncarved memorial tablet in more than 2,000 years of imperial history. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about how the, they painted her in history, then I don't know what else to tell you. That's my girl, Wu. Uh, take it home. Yes, take it <laughs> home. Um, we're bringing it back to the good old U.S. of A. Oh, my God. Um, and probably our most recent, I would say, yep, murderous 
Um, I'm going to be talking to you about the gal who took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. Although that's not true. No. Stupid nursery rhymes. Um, so Lizzie Borden, or Lizbeth, as she changed her name to after her trial, was born on July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. Um, she did have a biological mother named Sarah, but her father was Andrew, her stepmother was Abby, and she had a sister, Emma. Um, they also had a servant who lived with their family named Bridget, but because Emma and uh, Lizzie had had a servant named Maggie in their childhood, they referred to Bridget as Maggie her entire life, which poor, is just poor so savage. They really did her dirty. Um, so more famous dates that you might know about the Borden family is that on August 4th in 1892, Andrew and Abby were discovered murdered with an axe in their Fall River home. The Borden family was very, very, very well off, like lots of money. Um, but Andrew, um, as he likes to be referred to as, was very frugal. So they lived in quite a simple house despite having help. Uh, Lizzie and Emma didn't have the best relationship with Abby. They did initially, but upon hearing that her mother had been killed, uh, Lizzie looked at a police officer dead in the eyes and went, that woman is not my mother. So just a little background on their relationship. So despite being considered one of the most notorious female killers in American history, Lizzie was very involved in charity work, philanthropy, and anonymously did a lot of work for her community, um, including uh, donating money to libraries and churches and propelling the education of women. She was also a Sunday school teacher. So uh, that's quite the dichotomy if you ask me. On August 3rd, Abby went to the doctor across the street complaining of a stomach ache, and as it turned out, the entire family was very ill. In fact, on the same day, Lizzie told her friend Alice that something bad is going to happen to her family. She just feels it. Which, like, girlfriend, if you're gonna do a murder, maybe you should... That just... It's not just yeah. not say that. Like <laughs> there are a million words you could say, and you had to say those words in that order for a while. Yeah, like just shut your mouth, like <laughs> girl. So the morning of the murder, uh, Lizzie and Emma's biological uncle, their maternal uncle, had breakfast with the family, and then kind of like peaced out. He had been staying with the family for a few days. Lizzie stayed in bed until nine. She was very lazy that day and told Bridget or Maggie to take a rest because she was still violently ill from the night before. Hmm. I wonder why. <laughs> the family had suspected that they were being poisoned, but the doctor was just like, um, no, it's because you're freaking cheap and you buy like last week's fish. Like, I know you have money. Please spend it correctly. Uh, so I'll talk about that later in a little bit. Uh, but Emma, I don't remember where Emma is. She's like out and about. She's not in the house. <laughs> she is nowhere to be seen. I but think she was shopping. That sounds right. She was like, in yeah, the she wasn't physically in the house. Um, Abby was changing guest room sheets as John Morris had just stayed over. Andrew's at work. Um, so finally, Lizzie is like, okay, 
time to put my plan in action, supposedly. And she tells Bridget to wash the down the windows of the house inside and out. So she's keeping her nice and busy. Mysteriously, and without being heard, Abby is attacked with an axe and dies. Lizzie is clueless. In fact, so clueless that when Andrew comes home early from work and is locked out of the house, she's giggling at the top of the steps. Because to her, this is just a normal Thursday afternoon and everything's fine. So finally she gets the door for Andrew. It had turned out the reason he couldn't enter is because all three of the door's locks were locked when normally they only fastened the one. So he was very confused as to who locked the rest of the door. So as I said, Abby is already upstairs and she's already dead, um, unbeknownst to the rest of the family. So when Andrew gets in, he asks where Abby is. And Bridget re reveals in court later that all morning, she thought that Abby was away visiting a sick friend because that's what Lizzie had told her. So I guess Bridget hadn't thought to go upstairs. Um, but Andrew laid down for a nap, and so did Bridget, because as I mentioned, she's still violently sick. Like, as she was washing the windows for the Bordens, she was, like, puking outside, because poor thing was really just not feeling it. So as soon as Bridget lays her little head down on the pillow, Lizzie yells upstairs, Help! Someone's come inside and killed father with an axe. Uh, his face was completely demolished. Yes. Uh, reports from the crime scene say that Andrew's face looked similar to ground beef. Yay, that's disgusting. It's not great. I'm so um, glad I already ate. <laughs> <laughs> whereas Abby's injuries were more to the back of her head. Uh, so it's assumed that with her attack, she was struck once in the front, and when she fell, the rest of the blows were delivered to the back of the head and the neck. So because Lizzie's family was very well off and very highly regarded in society, this was a very big deal to the police. However, everyone assumed that Lizzie and Emma couldn't possibly have had anything to do with it. So until they could assure that the girls were out of the house and away from the traumatic views, they didn't search the house, meaning that there was no search of the home for 32 hours after the crime scene. Idiots. Lizzie and Emma weren't even questioned for three days. When she was questioned, Lizzie did change her story multiple times. However, she blames it on being prescribed morphine. Um, and she is noted to have not cried at all through her entire trial, any of the inquests, questioning, or the funeral of her parents. So on August 3rd, Lizzie tried to buy cyanide from a pharmacist. Oh, that's just natural, right? And the pharmacist was like, um, no. So I like to think that she was like, all right, I'll take matters into my own hands then. And that's how she ended up having a nursery rhyme about her. So on trial, the same friend that Lizzie talked to, named Alice on August 3rd, referenced a story when a few days after the murders, Lizzie had pulled out a dress of, pulled a dress out of her closet and was like, Look at this dress. It's so covered in paint. What should we do about it? And decided to throw the dress on top of the stove. And when Alice tried to question her about it, she told her to get out of her house. 
Lizzie, again, was kind of viewed not really the best because she wore a very fashionable lace dress with bright red ribbons to her parents' funeral rather than the traditional Victorian mourning outfit. So she was charged on August 11th. Um, She did have five days of private inquest before she was officially arrested and before the trial took place um, because nobody can confirm her story. She gave, excuse me, she gave several different answers to the police when they asked where she was during the deaths, including picking pears, looking for weight for her fishing line, walking through town, and doing Bridget's work, which was very confusing. Um, the, the judge declared her probably guilty, which I think is the best part about this. <laughs> yeah, she's like probably guilty, I guess. I don't know. Let's just uh, charge her anyways. <laughs> I don't know. She spent nine months in jail. Um, And people protested her for her release because she did so much for the community. They were like, how could she possibly do this? She's a Sunday school teacher. How could she possibly have not done this after how many times she changed her story and went to the store and tried to get cyanide and burned her blood-stained dress? Well, I'll give you a hint. Um, It starts with an S and ends with an exism. The jury on her trial was entirely compromised of men because in that time you could only serve on a jury if you had voting rights and who had voting rights in 1892 men white men yes yes <laughs> um so the jury claimed that she did not possess the stature of an amazon and therefore could not and would not have been strong enough to kill two people with an axe she was acquitted and sobbed uncontrollably for two days after being acquitted, which to me sounds like a guilty conscience. Yeah, that's what I think too. Uh, The following year, Lizzie and her sister moved in together in a big fancy house on the hill, which was the very nice fancy place of Fall River. Um, They named it Maplecroft. The house where the murders took place and Maplecroft are now bed and breakfast, so. Yeah, you can stay there and it's haunted. It's haunted. It's very haunted. Um, Lizzie liked to throw fabulous parties a la Great Gatsby, and that really pissed Emma off. She was not having it. Uh, So my personal theory is that uh, because they did have a falling out, I like to think it wasn't just about the parties. I like to think that maybe Emma learned something about Lizzie that she didn't necessarily like. Maybe I'm not going to say that it was pertaining to the death of their parents, but, you know. Um, So she inevitably did die, as people do. Um, In 1927, after many years of philanthropy, I, again, like to think that that's a guilty conscience (laughs) because she really poured her heart and soul into the community and had to do it anonymously because organizations would not take her mass donations after her trial um and lastly but not least and maybe my favorite detail of the entire story is that miss borden hired a traveling buddy who lived with her named trudy and i'm not saying that lizzie borden no you should just say it but i'm gonna say that lizzie borden was a lesbian i was waiting for that part i love that for her that's my favorite part (laughs) I just want to say that I'm not excusing the murders, 
but I just <laughs> want to say that it's highly believed that her parents, mostly her father, abused her sexually and her stepmother didn't do anything. And it's believed that's why she snapped because she had enough of it. Well, I just, I, I definitely agree with that theory because I cannot think of another, anything else in that woman's life that would have incited enough rage. Do to, that. Like, I'm a big true crime junkie. And stabbing is a very personal way to kill someone. Demolishing someone with an axe multiple times, like, one good blow with an axe will get you. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a lot of pent up rage in there. And I cannot think of another source of said rage. They were very financially well off. She had most of what she wanted at her fingertips. It's not as if she was at a wanting for anything. Huge thank you to Lived Inter for joining me today, and a huge thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. If you haven't already, you can check out her story talk on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Merchandise is available at bonfire.com slash store slash talk. And if you're feeling generous and would like to donate to our Patreon, you can check that out at Talk. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you back at the next episode.